दिस इज दिवर्सरी ऑफ द लिबरेशन ऑफ बांग्लादेश एंड ऑफ द वॉर लिबरेशन और क्रिएशन ऑफ बांग्लादेश एंड यू फाइंड योर न्यूज पेपर्स योर टी वी चैनल सोशल मीडिया आर फुल ऑफ स्टोरीज ऑफ दैट वॉर दर्टीन डेज शॉर्ट वॉर द फाइनेस्ट आर फॉर इंडियन आर्म फोर्सेज बट ऑल्सो द फाइनेस्ट आर फॉर इंडियन डिप्लोमेसी इंडियन इंटेलिजेंस रॉ केम इन टू इट्स ओन एट दैट पॉइंट ऑफ टाइम अंटिल दैट मोस्ट पीपल डिड नॉट इवर नो समथिंग लाइक रॉ एग्जिस्टेड Uh, so all that you are reading about in fact you should also read and watch the past forward episode both in text and in video that my colleague and defense editor snehesh alex philip has done i can't do any better than that so what i will do in this episode of cut the clutter this is in commemoration of the 50th anniversary of that war which i watched in newspapers there was no tv then which i watched in newspapers as a 14 year old right uh, so in commemoration of that war i will touch upon three points one on a marvel called bangladesh which that war produced usually wars do not produce great results and wars do not produce things that are creative wars only destroy wars settle scores revenge etc or this they set in motion a cycle of revenge very rarely do wars create something which is marvelous and that's what have what what's happened with bangladesh i will talk about that very briefly but also i will talk about the other aspect of war because you know victory defeat it happens in a war sometimes there is a stalemate also but when this when soldiers fight when professional soldiers fight they have the most effective weapons guns missiles ships submarines uh, aircraft fighter planes everything they have it all but they do not fight like a war a modern war between professional armies is not like a communal riot with tanks and guns and missiles and submarines and fighter planes it is an honorable pursuit where you kill the other side for the sake of your own nation and also because that is your call of duty that is what being a professional soldier is all about second professional soldiers they they fight wars they approach wars again as their professional calling they are not as enthusiastic about war they don't see war as a glorious thing that must be fought all the time as many of us maybe in our tv channels and elsewhere seem to think because it's very easy to celebrate a shaheed a martyr when there is a martyr in someone else's family so think also of how the families that lose people or families that have people who've lost a limb or who've gone missing think of how those families feel also and that pain is the same on both sides third thing is that a very important lesson that we learn from some of these battlefield experiences in the aftermath and i will give you two of those examples where we get to know also that these soldiers and their families also have a code of honor even when they end up killing each other in the line of duty they see it like that as a professional calling they do not carry the sense of revenge or hurt forever with them and finally between professional soldiers even when they fight a very bitter war there is always some chivalry and that is something to be celebrated and i will tell you real examples from this war so first of all bangladesh now i am not i don't have to work very hard at talking about bangladesh in terms of what a marvel it is and why we describe it as a marvel i will just borrow it from an article that dr ishrat hussain who's one of pakistan's foremost economists today he is an advisor on the economy to imran khan 
in the past for many years he's been the central bank go governor of pakistan that is the equivalent of uh, india's reserve bank of india a very wise man i once hosted him on a walk the talk also when he was traveling in india Allahabad born uh, born in 1941 when Allahabad was Allahabad it was in Prayagraj yet yet uh, and he's written an article in dawn the karachi newspaper respected karachi newspaper talking about what a miracle bangladesh has been and he just quotes some data up front then he explains his reasons his six reasons as to why bangladesh has done so well and remember he's even now currently serving as serving as advisor to imran khan so it's a brave thing for him to do but i've known him to be a brave man in fact on both sides of the border people have known him and respected him as a fair minded economist and public figure now he has said that look at bangladesh since it got liberated or cre created 50 years ago its national income has gone up 50 times 50 times its per capita income has gone up 25 times now for the for those who are mathematically challenged or statistically challenged like me immediate thing would be why has the national income gone up by 50 times but individuals income per capita income only by 25 times that's also because population has gone up so your per capita income is the total na national income divided by population so population has gone up so per capita income has gone up 25 times national income has gone up 50 times food production has gone up four times now immediate question will be ah but so has the population but as dr ishrat hussain points out in this article bangladesh has been able to cap its population growth to about two and a half times so population has grown two and a half times food production has grown four times so a country that henry kissinger had contemptuously described as a basket case in fact in that avatar Hendrik Kissinger may have even thought of India as a basket case uh, and made no secret of it right that country today has become with the exception of Sri Lanka the country with the best socio economic indicators at this point in the entire subcontinent that's a big change for a country of big population population large population now again i borrow data from dr ishrat hussain in bangladesh in 1971 then when the country came into being 60% of the population were below the poverty line you remember that stereotype starving bangladeshis right today it's only 20% so phenomenal improvement exports he says have grown 100 times life expectancy is 72 it's higher than india's right bangladesh has done remarkably well on social indicators then in 1990 dr ishrat hussain points out pakistan's per capita income was twice as much as bangladesh's today it's 70% of bangladesh's so basically if an average bangladeshi earns a $1000 or $2000 the pakistani earns $1400 that is the difference now so how did bangladesh steal such a march over the country the more dominant country that it left behind or the more dominant wing that it left that it left behind and the wing that usually socially and politically held its eastern side in contempt so how has this newly created eastern side defeated the western side over time a military victory was achieved over 13 days right that is something else but ultimate test lies ultimate test lies in how your nationalism progresses and how your nation progresses so bangladesh has proven with this experience that the nationalism that the pakistanis defined 
1947 onwards, a two-nation theory. That is not. That was not the only way forward for the subcontinents, Muslims. And just because people happen to be from one faith, they did not constitute a nation. So Bangladesh has done so, while at the same time proving to be a success, successful nation, much more successful than, if I may put it like that, than the older sibling. Over the past several years, Bangladesh's annual GDP growth has been twice as high as Pakistan's. This year, Bangladesh's per capita GDP has actually gone ahead of India as well. Chances are that next, next year India might catch up, if not next year, then in a couple of years. But even for it to happen for one year is a very big deal. Now, how has Bangladesh been able to do this? Please read Dr. Ishrat Hussain's article, which I am sharing with you. The link is there with the description. He has a six reasons. So I am not repeating those. Please read those. These are words of wisdom. And these also give us an idea of what nations ought to do if they want to look forwards. If they want to look at the future, instead of getting obsessed with the past, if Bangladeshis or the Bengalis on the other hand had carried on still fretting over the injustices that were meted out to them by the West Pakistanis all this while and trying to take revenge etc etc, they would not have gone as, as far ahead of West Pakistan as they have done. So once again the lesson is to look at the future, look at your aspirations, don't look at the past and don't look at your grievances. So that done, let's talk about some warfare. Now I have a couple of stories to tell you and these are really inspirational stories. Doesn't matter who won and who lost in this round in each different case. So for example, Arun Khetrapal, second lieutenant Arun Khetrapal is one of India's greatest war heroes. He was the youngest to win. Paramvir Chakra in 1971 war, the last day of the war, 16th of December. So this is also the 50th anniversary of second lieutenant Arun Khetripal's passing away. He was still at the Armored Corps Academy in Ahmednagar, still learning the basic craft of fighting with tanks. When the war started and he had to quickly come in and his family recounts, and I take it from the book by Rashna Rabat Bisht, who is a journalist, uh, on how he put his Java motorcycle, which his parents had gifted him, in the train and came to Delhi and went straight to the front. Now his regiment was a famous regiment. That is the Pune Horse. Now Pune Horse is one of the most decorated, most famous cavalry regiments of Indian Army and one of the oldest. In fact, in colonial times, it was called 17th Queen Victoria's own cavalry. So a storied regiment. Now on the front, in what is called as the Samba Sialkot sector, where this regiment from the Indian side was operating, they had to fight the Pakistani 13th Lancers. Now, 13th Lancers also is one of the storied cavalry regiments of the old Indian army. Just so happened that that regiment went to Pakistan. So, 13th Lancers, again in colonial times, had a colonial name. It was called the Duke of Connaught's own Lancers. And once again, to see that what kind of bonds professional soldiers have. It was 13th Lancers which exchanged its 6th squadron with the Muslim squadron of Pune Horse. So as partition happened, both armies restructured themselves. Regiments remained the same. But many of these uh, regiments of the armies like armor, artillery, etc., which were not based on one caste, on one ethnic composition. They still had squadrons or companies based on different compositions. So, in this case, 13th Lancers exchanged its 6th squadron with Pune Horse's 
Muslim squadrons. So these squadrons came face to face. There was a famous battle of Basantar. It was fought on the last day of the war. In fact, the battle was more or less over and India had established a bridgehead at Basantar. On the last day, Pakistanis launched a desperate counter-attack to dislodge the Indians from that bridgehead. They failed to do it because standing against them, in front of them, was a small force of Indian tanks from Pune Horse. And that was a troop of Indian uh, tanks, uh, three centurions led by second lieutenant Arun Khetrapar. Now, it was in that battle, even after his tank was hit and his tank had been rendered immobile, but he kept on firing because he told his commanders that, look, my gun is firing, so I am firing. He kept on firing and died in action and he got his Parambir Chakra at such a young age. Now, it so happened that the officer on the other side, on the Pakistani side, was a major because he was commanding the squadron uh, from 13th Lancers. His name was Major Khwaja Muhammad Nasir. Now, next day, he came to collect the bodies of his own soldiers who had died in the battle because in any case, there was ceasefire the next morning. In battlefield, after a battle, the two sides do often exchange bodies. Those decencies are maintained between professional armies. At least they were maintained until 1971. So when he came to collect his troops' bodies, he asked the Indian side, who was this Indian officer and who was commanding that Indian tank? And the Indian side told him it was Second Lieutenant Arun Khetrapal. And he said, I hope he's okay. I hope he didn't get hurt because his tank was also uh, facing mine. And they said, nahi, wo to shaheed ho gaye. So this major went back with this memory and then and that story stopped there. Now in 2001, it's a remarkable story. It so happened that Arun Khetrapal's father, who himself was a retired brigadier in the army, he went for a college reunion to Pakistan. That is, old boys from his college in Lahore were meeting and they said, okay, other, uh, other boys from our college who now have families, they will host these people who come in from the Indian side. So at the age of 81, Brigadier Khetrapal went to Lahore. Now, he was staying, he was being hosted by a Pakistani officer, a retired Pakistani officer, who after a while told him, if you don't mind, will you come outside my garden to chat with me? So he went out to chat with his host and his host said, Aburani Maniega, but I am the one who killed your son. So this was Brigadier, this was Brigadier Khwaja Mohammad Nasir, who as a major had commanded that squadron that was up against Arun Khetrapal's troop of three centurions. And he said, look, it was a war. Your son fought very valiantly. We, we were facing off against each other. Both our tanks fired. Both our tanks got hit. It's just that, just that he was destined to die and I was destined to survive. So Brigadier Khetrapal came back a bit shaken but also touched. This And this story found mention in Major General Ian Cardozo's book. Major General Ian Cardozo, an Indian general, he also became famous in the same war, see the kind of things soldiers end up doing. In fact, he had damaged his leg very badly. Looks like on a, on a minefield or maybe stepped on a mine. And then he found that his leg was almost sweared and he would not be able to move. But he wanted to continue fighting. There is also, there's also training and adrenaline and instincts. So he actually took out his own kukri and cut off his leg in that war. Please read that book by him. He's an inspirational figure. I will, uh, I will comment to all schools, institutions, colleges to have, him, have, to have him come and speak to them. So this episode found a mention in that 
book. Now the second episode that we talk about is something that's come up just now. And today, in fact, in the print, and we've carried this with the courtesy of Dawn. Now Dawn carried an article today by journalist Shazia Hassan. Now Shazia Hassan has spoken to Leslie Ann Middlecourt. Now Leslie Ann Middlecourt's father, late Wing Commander Mervyn Middlecourt, was one of the most decorated fighter pilots in Pakistan Air Force. He got Sitara Jurat and Bar. Sitara Jurat in Pakistan is the equivalent of India's Veer Chakra. So in 1965 war, he got a Sitara Jurat. He used to fly by that time an F-104 Starfighter, originally trained on the Sabre jet, but now F-104 Starfighter. In the 71 war, he got his second Sitara Jurat or Bar to the first Sitara Jurat, but unfortunately for him and his family, posthumously, because he died while he was carrying out a daytime attack on Jamnagar Air Base, which is not that far from Pakistan, in India. And he was caught in the middle of that attack by Indian fighter interceptors. So he was shot down by an Indian pilot, Flight Lieutenant B.B. Soni, flying a MiG-21. And he ejected somewhere in the waters between the two countries, in the Kutch area. And he was seen to be falling somewhere in channels which are known to be heavily shark infested and was never traced after that. Now, his daughter has spoken to Shazia Hassan at dawn. And she tells us the story and it's not, not very dissimilar, not at all dissimilar to the story of the Khetrapal family. The story of the Middlecourt family is very similar to the story of the Khetrapal family. And this story is that after she had wondered where her father was, what happened to her father, because for a long time they, they kept on hoping that maybe the father will come back, maybe the father was lost in a prisoner of war camp, he was lost somehow in a confusion of war, but father didn't come back, but they didn't quite have closure. They didn't know what exactly had happened to the father. So Leslie tells Shazia Hassan that at some point on Facebook, she was contacted by somebody called Arjun, whose father was also a fighter pilot in the Indian Air Force. And he asked her if she was the daughter of the Pakistani fighter pilot named Middlecourt. And she said, I was very responding to him because he was Indian. But he said that he is a friend of a person called Ishrat Aurangzeb. Now, Ishrat Aurangzeb also happens to be the granddaughter of Field Marshal Ayub Khan, the former dictator, the, the first real military dictator in Pakistan. So he said that he knew her and she, he was looking at her friends list and found Leslie Middlecourt's name there. And Middlecourt is not a name that you find that prolifically, particularly in Pakistan. So he got curious and he asked her. So that is how she got in touch with him. She thought it was safe to get in touch with an Indian. She got in touch with him. And these, then she requested him if she could help her get in touch with the pilot who had shot down her father. So through his father, who was also an Air Force officer in India, he was able to connect her with Flight Lieutenant B.B. Soni, who later retired as Wing Commander Sony. Now, she then tells her that she wrote a long letter to Wing Commander Sony, explaining who she was and how much their family, she and her mother, missed their father and they, they were still sort of mystified as to what exactly happened, basically asking for closure. And Wing Commander Sony wrote a long letter to her and he said, look, my voice is choked. I have not, feel, not felt more emotionally overwhelmed in a long time. I did what I did because I was a professional soldier. 
right and he then gave her the story he told her how these two f104s came they were bombing and strafing over jamnagar because jamnagar itself was under attack and interceptor could not have taken off from there a combat air patrol could not have taken off from there so these two migs came from another base and they intercepted this pakistani fighters and that's how her father's plane was shot down and he said that he saw her father ejecting and for a moment he thought that he'll go he'll go and follow it and see where exactly he rejected etc but then he was told by the indian navy he was told that the indian navy had been alerted and they were going out to pick up the prisoner of war the pakistani pilot but they went there they didn't find anybody as i told you earlier these were shark infested waters and she says leslie now says that this then became over time a very close bond as if she was a member of the family just as you heard about the khetrapal family and brigadier nasir you now have the family of wing commander middlecourt and wing commander sony at the other end and finally chivalry of a different kind because you know it's okay you can say all right you killed somebody in war you can later be magnanimous and all that and bomb ek bar to mar diya na but see what happens when you are living now this is the story it's a fascinating story and i would suggest that you read the full account i'm sharing a link with you of my conversations with two indian air force fighter pilots that is wing commander ms krewal and group captain dilip parulekar both retired and quite grown up by now because they were taken prisoner they were shot down and taken prisoner in the 71 war by the pakistanis they were flying sukhoi 7s india lost quite a few sukhois in fact they 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 formed the bulk of india's losses because it was a large aircraft it was used in close air support and it also carried out many risky and daring missions so they were two of the 12 indian air force pilots who were prisoners of war in pakistan being young mischievous fellows and fighter pilots adventurous pilot fighter pilots that they were they planned a major escape from the prison a prisoner of war camp in rawalpindi so the two of them and another young officer called harish singh ji they got together they dug a hole in a wall they removed a window so they used little a tiny fork and a tiny knife that they had which they may have saved from their uh, from their meal time trays and kept on scraping the plaster from the walls and then the mortar between the bricks and opened it up and escaped now that became a famous escape and they were caught by the pakistani authorities just 4 kilometers before they could cross into afghanistan and how that happened is a very adventurous story now we all knew about this story a little bit but in greater detail this story came out when a book was written on this this detail came out in a book written by faith johnston who's a canadian journalist also married to an air force officer so she wrote this book titled 4 miles to freedom so when this book came out i did set up a box to talk with these two brilliant officers and we set it up we we recorded it in the air force museum in delhi and in fact we even walked around a sukhoi 7 that they kept there that is wing commander mangat sukhoi 7 which came back which he was able to fly back despite so many injuries and wounds and bullet marks that they kept that that sort of wounded sukhoi 7 in the museum so you can see one how much punishment could that plane take that war horse and second how how incredible the pilot instead of ejecting brought it back now parulekar and grewal they both talked as if this was a picnic they had gone on a picnic even the story of their being shot down they talked of as a picnic parulekar actually actually was shot down this 
second time although he objected when i said so he said no 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 in 65 i was shot up in 71 i was shot down so as a sense of humor he said 65 the bullet came through the canopy and hit him in the shoulder so he was shot in the shoulder he was told to eject he should have ejected but he insisted on not ejecting young officer young fighter pilot he insisted on flying back so he flew back to the base with that aircraft and the amazing thing is that the bullet that went into his shoulder had also cut the strap of his parachute so if he had ejected he should have he would have just fallen like a stone on the ground at what he said was 400 miles an hour so charmed life but he was shot down the second time shot down because he ejected he ejected and he was caught by farmers beaten up the similar story with wing commander ms grewal as well and both were then brought to this prisoner of war camp and there they escaped and there they talk about read this detailed account which is really a transcript of that interview on ndtv's walk the talk where they also talk about the level of warmth and understanding because between pakistani soldiers who were guarding over them so how pakistani soldiers even the pow camp would treat them with respect acknowledging that they were officers and these were mere soldiers and also how the commander the pakistani commander of the camp that is a pakistani air force officer usman hamid coordinator usman hamid he was very kind to all of them he was inquire after their families and was generally considerate towards them so when they escaped they escaped and they got caught because they were taking references from an old map that old map showed a railway station on the pakistan afghanistan border called landi khana so they went past peshawar they were somewhere in torkham area and they were asking people or taxi drivers to take them to some place called landi khana now nobody knew a place called landi khana existed because landi khana was a station in pre partition india it wasn't a station after pakistan came into being so any time so so whenever they ask people we want to go to landi khana people say who the hell are you there is no place called landi khana and that's how they got caught people got suspicious they got caught they were taken to the local tehsildar and there they thought they were in real danger because as long as you are in the other armed forces custody you know that you are a prisoner of war geneva convention applies somebody knows that you are there but once you are in such a situation then they could just kill you because they they didn't have any particular reason to love indians because after after, after all you had just broken up their country and this is april the following year april of 1972 so parulikas said that he had some presence of mind and he said can i call the we are airmen from pakistani air force our names are philip peter ali amir and john doe that is the third officer harish singh ji we are airmen from pakistani air force we give our blood for the nation you and you treat us like this we just come on a we just came on a holiday from the air base at lahore so let let us call a senior officer who's now adc to air chief marshal zafar choudhury the chief of the pakistani air force what had happened was its commander usman hamid who was heading their pow camp for pakistan air force he had meanwhile got promoted and posted as adc to the pakistani air chief and he had been sympathetic to them so they they said put a call through to him otherwise there will be consequences for you you have no idea so in these situations name dropping works that is something that we reporters very often do so they did that name dropping about Usman Hamid and said call the chiefs ADC and the subcontinent once you pull rank like this chances are that some tehsildar will not take risks with you so the tehsildar let them put in a call to this officer Usman Usman Hamid and as he came on the line 
Dilip Parulekar told him, Sir, this is Philip Peter. Remember Dilip from Rawalpindi? So, Usman Hamid caught on. So, he said, Sir, I am here. See, we had just gone on a little vacation. So, I am here. With me is Ali Amir and also John Doe. Huh? And we are airmen of Pakistan Air Force. And these guys are giving us so much trouble. They've caught us here and they are saying they'll lock us up. And they will make, uh, they are saying they'll lock us up. We are in grave danger, sir. Please speak to the Tehsildar and ask him to be kind to me. So, the Pakistani officer caught on, spoke to the Tehsildar made sure that they were delivered safely to Pakistan Air Force again and they were taken back to their prisoner of war camp safely. So once again, a story that tells you that just as we say there is honor among thieves, if there is honor among thieves, there is also honor among professional soldiers. And I can tell you professional soldiers fight, fight very hard. They, don't, they risk their lives. They also kill the other side mercilessly. But War fighting is not something anybody enjoys or looks forward to, least of all those who are in the firing line because they, their families are the ones who suffer the damage and the trauma. So I also asked them, why did you think of escaping? Because you knew that there was ceasefire now and there will be a settlement at some point. Prisoners will be exchanged, you will go home. And Parulekar said, no. Even 1969, I told my mates in my squadron that if in the next war I get taken a prisoner, I will escape. And Grewal also said, look, it's the duty of a professional soldier to escape if taken prisoner. So we had to escape. It was a duty besides the fact that they had seen Steve McQueen's great escape. And also Grewal said that he had only recently read Papillon, the book, which was later made into a movie. And these were the great inspirational stories of escapes. So if they could do it, why can't we? So that is how they set it up. That's the reason we like to say that a real war is not like a Bollywood movie where only one side wins and the other side keeps running away and looking stupid. In a real war, both sides, everybody gets damaged and everybody suffers. Also, it's not like Commando Comics. It's very serious, painful business. That's why on this 50th anniversary, why we'll celebrate the victory, why we celebrate the rise of Bangladesh. Also think of tens of thousands of families of soldiers on both sides who suffered this great trauma, pain, and maybe so many of them carry that loss forever.